Welcome back, friends. For the 50th week in a row, it is I, Justin, and I hope your brain is working well because today, uh, this is a great episode. This is a great one. Today, Chocolate Croissants is proud to present our conversation with Meg Ford. Meg is the lead dietitian at the world-famous Dolce Diet. So what is the Dolce Diet, you may be asking? Well, as four-time trainer of the year, Uh, and founder of the company, Mike Dolce himself states, it is a longevity-based approach to immediate health and wellness. To dig a bit deeper into the Dolce diet, check out dolcediet.com. That's D-O-L-C-E diet.com. Or check out a few of the books that they currently have out. Uh, A few of the classics are three weeks to shred it and living lean. Now, let me send some love to our sponsor this week, and that is Nata Tattoo. Nata Tattoo is the premier all-natural, 100% USDA-certified organic tattoo aftercare line. They believe in sustainably resourced ingredients that are cruelty-free and of the highest quality. Their mission is to educate tattoo artists and tattoo collectors of the optimal way to preserve and care for their tattoos and skin while knowing the products have been formulated and made responsibly. Their tattoo foaming soap and aftercare lotion will allow your skin to heal beautifully, while their tattoo balm will keep your ink looking bright and bold for years to come. Uh, We're currently running a tattoo competition actually in our Facebook group, so if you want to win one of these Nata Tattoo Care kits, you can head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants to enter. Uh, you can also check out everything that Nata Tattoo has to offer by heading over to their website, which is natatattoo.com. That's N-A-T-A-T-A-T, the number two, dot com. And when checking out, you can use the promo code CHOCOLATE25. That's CHOCOLATE and then the number is 25, and you'll receive 25% off any and all products in their web store. So there you go. Uh, quick preface to this episode. We had a few technical difficulties with using Skype on this episode. It's not our first time, uh, but we kept rolling with it. And uh, our dude, Joe, who always gets everything done on the audio assist production side, he uh, was able to sort everything out. And we thank Joe for always coming in super clutch. Okay, that's it for me. I will let you go and enjoy this episode with Meg Ford, lead registered dietitian at the Dolce Diet. Enjoy. Well, that's really nice. So it looks like Justin started the recording, so we're just going to go there. (laughs) No one will ever hear about the two and a half minute conversation about MySpace URLs that we just had. Yes, straight up. This is definitely not the... They are missing out because we let out some pretty big secrets about MySpace. And your Wi-Fi. And my Wi-Fi password. (laughs) Well, just like MySpace itself... That conversation will just live forever in the internet ghetto. (laughs) (laughs) So hi, Meg. Hi, Meg. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you guys. Thank you for having me. This is fun. I'm having fun. Good. So you and Justin, he just told me you guys chatted a while ago. Yeah. How did that happen? Oh, man. Um, I think Justin has been a fan of mixed martial arts and of, um, my boss, Mike Dolce and the Dolce diet for some time. And he is 
one of um, the few people that have actually contacted me outside of um, just maybe trying to get to know Mike or get to know um, athlete. He just, he actually really was interested in his profession that he's pursuing to become a dietitian himself um, and going down that path of needing to get an internship and what does the course will look like and actually really asking real questions that I felt like um, I wanted to get to know him more and wanted to have a conversation. So we were able to um, connect by phone. Um, I don't even know. I feel like God, poor Justin. I think I talked. I, I'm a talker. I think I talked to him for about two hours. Did he listen? Because um, he talks too. I think he did. I I think he. I think we had a really good back and forth conversation. I think he has a lot of really good questions. He's really he's really interested about the world, and that's what a dietitian needs to be because it's more than just you know, what are you eating? How much there's like a why behind it. And really, once you get to know that client, you really get to know that behavior and that person and you, you see past that and you can kind of put more pat, you have to be able to ask questions. And so he was, he was really good at asking questions. So we were able to connect and just talk about, um, dietitians and the profession clinically as a whole and what it looks like and what, um, that coursework and what to expect and what to demand for yourself as a dietitian through the education process. And yeah, we had a phenomenal conversation. I really enjoyed it. That's awesome. I'm going to see how long I can keep going without not allowing him to, to chat. Um, <laughs> so, and, and you just like, like white knuckling it right now. He's right. just like, <laughs> so honestly, that's a really nice and generous compliment that you gave him. And I've, I've heard that about myself as well in the past, uh, that I ask good questions and it's one of the, the most, um, I don't know, it's just a compliment that makes me feel good. It's, it's a unique compliment. So I think that's, it's really cool that that's the first thing that you shared about Justin, um, or one of the first things, uh, real quick, I heard in, uh, in your O when you said the word phone <laughs> that you got a little twang in it. Where are you from? Oh no. Fargo, North Dakota. Okay, so being from Fargo, North Dakota, uh, it seems... You tried so hard to say that with the correct O, I could tell you were... It's, <laughs> you you got to say it with the twang. The twang. Uh, yeah. Fargo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you did good. <laughs> um, you so, guys are East Coast, so I always make fun of Mike because he has this like water... Like he says this, he says like completely, oh God, he makes me so mad <laughs> So, so <laughs> he tries to say words. <laughs> and it's, it's funny in Baltimore, uh, Justin and I don't have it. Our, our co-host Matt will often imitate it, but there is a very Baltimore, oh, uh, yes, right. Yes. But, but I'm There's curious. There's times where Michael says a, a sentence and I have to like, I have to, I think, try to translate it in my head. And then I think he does the same back to me and <laughs> That's, Hopefully it, it, we figure out what the other one's saying sometimes, but yeah, yeah, words are weird. Um, mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned Justin, you know, is, is someone who's worldly. He tries to be worldly. Uh, he thinks a lot about different perspectives and cultures and things like that. Uh, you, you are someone who has earned a leadership position in an international brand and company, uh, but you're from North Dakota. So how does that happen? <laughs> How does that happen for anyone anywhere? Honestly, I mean, when you think of like where, you know, how does somebody make it big in New York City or in L.A.? You know, everybody's, I think, got the same opportunity and the same chance as anybody else. 
I think you just hear about it less from North Dakota. If you look at it from a ratio perspective, there just are less of us. Um, but, but even uh, in the excuse context me, I'm, of... I'm sorry to cut you off, Mick, but you mentioned New York and L.A. The difference between those people and you is that they have face-to-face access with people. Yeah, it's true. No, and that's what I was going to say. I think even everybody in North Dakota, it's part of our culture to not think that that could ever happen to us, especially even more than what other people say um, in Texas or I I, I don't even care where you're from. Um, That's part of, I think, what we've grown up believing and being told is that as long as you're here, um, this is your limits. And especially coming from my background as, a, as even going to school as a dietitian, it was, these are the jobs you can expect to get. These are the places you'll expect to go. And this is what we expect from you. And if you hit this point, you'll hit success. And I worked as, um, a full-time clinical dietitian in long-term care for three years. And I was really told in the community, you know, you've made it. And I was like, this is it. (laughs) This this is what I I attain to be and this is forever. Um, And the job in long-term care or working in anything clinically is the most admirable position, I believe, to help somebody get through that death and dying process and to be in the thick of healthcare when things really are kind of at that end process and and helping somebody um, when they really need it most. It's a tough job emotionally and um, just getting what you go through with families and just all of it. I I really admire everybody that does that position, but it was not for me long-term. And I knew that even in going into being a dietitian and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. But again, it was that same story of not it, you'll never make it and it's not for you. I'm really glad you shared that. Uh, and especially you kind of prefaced it by uh, telling the importance of, of the job roles in those fields. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can get stuck in feeling like they want to provide value in some way through their profession. Uh, mm-hmm. And oftentimes, like perhaps you, you, you got the job, quote unquote, but yet you realized that there was something about it that wasn't quite lighting you up, even though mm-hmm. you knew it was an important and, and even noble, uh, you know, choice for yourself as a profession. Um, yeah. a, a lot of people just say, I want to help people. Uh, so you may not know, I'm, I'm a licensed psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. So I hear that all the time. Uh, I, I know Justin and, and he and I have probably said in the past too, is we want to help people. For me, I knew that doing traditional uh, therapy or counseling in a traditional setting with a traditional modality would bore me to fucking death. And <laughs> and I had the courage or the audacity to accept that about myself uh, when a lot of messages that I was getting from, you know, other people and places and culture and whatnot uh, was telling me otherwise. So I think it's a really important lesson that you're sharing with our listeners and viewers right now. Um, the important work, uh, yeah, it might be important, but if it's not serving you first, then you're not going to really be able to serve uh, your people or your mission the best that you can, I, I believe. There was a quote I heard once, and it was about um, just how anything you do in life 
think of it as, you know, what are you really asking for? If you were to pull the arrow back and you were trying to hit your target, and if your target was just as simple as saying, I want to help people, you you will fulfill that because in some way, shape or form, everything that I think we've all done, we're helping someone. Um, but you have to be so specific in what you ask the world for, because what the person was referencing when they said that is they said, my goal in life was I want to make a million dollars. And he did, he, he made a million dollars. And then he realized at the end of it, he's like, how come I made a million dollars and I'm still feeling suicidal and I'm unhappy. And he never attached it to, I want to make a million dollars doing something that makes me happy. And so then it was kind of that realization of, I didn't like, when I asked the genie, the question in the bottle, I didn't say enough specific enough. Um, and, and that just comes down to really being good and specific with your goal setting. And, and sometimes it's that fear I think we have of really writing down and saying out loud that goal, or even sometimes it's so scary to even write what seems like that childish goal down on paper, because you might have to share that with somebody or even actually really sharing it with the universe getting it out of your head and saying, wow, what I really want to do is be an astronaut or I've always wanted to, I I don't even care what it is. It's just sometimes writing it down is like, okay, I guess I really want to do this. What's that next step to get there and actually really thinking about that as the goal. That's really cool. Even last week on episode 49 uh, with our friend Joe, uh, we talked about a similar thing, but just from a different angle uh, of he deals with a lot of anxiety and just, uh, I guess, beliefs and thoughts that often get in the way. And it's the same idea. It's like once he either writes it down or once you share that idea, then mm-hmm. you kind of can view it a bit more objectively and it's not yeah. controlling you as much. So it kind of seems like the same strategy that you're sharing. I want to share one more thing and then I'm going to shut the fuck up and let Justin actually engage in this conversation. <laughs> him he's like ready to go but uh and this is a treat for me because he is a talker uh but i appreciate your silence for this section it's exciting i think (laughs) i think generally speaking we have pretty good rapport uh as as a trio who generally hosts at least (laughs) one person and sometimes we've hosted multiple people at a time and i think everybody tends to get in what they want to get in so anyway i agree so so The point I want to make kind of piggybacks off what you were talking about, and I don't think this is something I've shared publicly yet, and you also may not know, but in addition to being a a licensed psychotherapist who primarily uses music as as my modality, uh, I am a a professional in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, I work work in... in an office in a branding and marketing role for a major pro wrestling organization. And mm-hmm. I did struggle with this, uh, as I was seriously considering, uh, going to my clinical practice only once a week and taking on a full-time position in what many would just think is some like silly entertainment thing. And for whatever reason, I, I had this belief that my mom would think it would be a less than career move Mm -hmm. for me. And Mm -hmm. I did share it with her and she was uh, very incredibly supportive, which I was grateful for. Um, With Randy? With Randy, of course. Yeah, Randy. uh, Yeah, Randy on Facebook. But please don't add her. (laughs) Meg, you can, but no one else. Um, But I guess more importantly, I I was was having this conversation with my therapist, actually. And... Mm -hmm. 
I was talking about, am I going to be helping less people or, or even just having less of a positive impact on the world by trying this wrestling career versus really going all in on, on the Beatwell company that I've grown. And what he shared, which really helped change it for me, was I then thought about a lifetime of joy that pro wrestling has provided me. Mm-hmm. So if I'm able to be uh, a significant uh, factor in uh, creating and uh, marketing and providing that same type of joy for millions of people around the world, uh, then what a great service and legacy that I could leave through that change in my career. Absolutely. So I, th- I felt that was just important for me to share because it- it's not so much uh, what on paper we think uh, would be deemed important or serious or noble. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think it goes a bit deeper. And to your point, it's really digging a bit deeper with the questions and being more specific and targeted uh, in, our, in our own line of questioning internally. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we're the first person to say like, well, I th- like you said, when you shared what you thought, like, but my mom would think this. So that's why I don't do it. And then we're the first person to tell ourselves a story. And we've never even like you said, you're like, maybe I'll just ask her. Is that what she would think? Because then if that is what she thinks, how would I deal with that? Like we never even allow ourselves to get past that point. We just tell the story and then deny ourselves anything that we think would be exciting or could be fun. Or, you know, it's we're the first person to tell ourselves no without even trying at all. Yeah. And and interestingly, I'm telling myself no. And part of the story was, you know, hooking that to my mom when, in fact, that wasn't even based in reality. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So growing up, did you always want to be a dietitian? No. Um, I, I think I thought, you know, I think you go through when you're a kid and you want to be a hundred different things. Um, I was always the kid. I loved mud. I loved playing outside. I think I thought I was going to do something with science. And years later, my family keeps finding my weird science experiments that I did as a child in like our yard and inside. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that one. Um, but for me, what happened is my dad was a national champion wrestler and he, he really prides himself on his experience as a wrestler. Um, it's really how he defines himself and me listening to these stories over the years, everything that he did was dysfunctional eating and was an eating disorder. And so he became very sick when I was in junior high. He um, had some different health issues. And throughout his life, he's continued to have a lot of different health issues. And so that was originally what had gotten me interested is when we were talking to all of the people on his healthcare team, his dietitians were giving him very specific advice on things he needed to do. And I had never even thought outside of what it was. I just ate every day. I mean, you're a kid, you just kind of eat what people feed you. Um, so I, I had never considered that. And then I was an athlete myself. Um, I swam competitively and collegiately for 13 years and I never thought about until that time in junior high, how, what I was eating might affect my performance and affect health. And so, um, I had the opportunity in high school to do, um, a health careers, career shadowing, um, a class and we got to shadow a lot of different careers. And I, um, I liked the dietitians, but I always still in the back of my head said, 
I'm not, I'm not going to do what you do though. I'm going to learn it, but I, what I want to do is I want to work with people in weight dependent sports. I want to work with athletes and and that's what I want to do. Um, and as I went to college and I actually, um, you know, it's all of a sudden that moment of like, this is really happening. I'm really doing it. Um, and I was in school and I was becoming a dietitian. It just kind of over time, I think you just kind of get worn down of like, okay, I'll just accept that this, this is what, what the role is as a dietitian. It's, it's clinical, it's paperwork, it's, um, helping people who are already sick instead of being on the preventative end of things. That's the way that our healthcare system has been designed at this point is that the dietitian for most, um, Unfortunately, in order to even see a dietitian, most insurance companies will not cover you until you have a diagnosis. And once you have that diagnosis, then you can see a dietitian, but it's like, well, at that point, you're sick and, and you really need help. And what could we have done on the prevention side? And that's really where I saw myself and, and where I wanted to be because I didn't want to work with people after um, things had happened to them the way that things have worked out for my dad. Um, and there just hadn't been, at least for me, for what I was seeing as an entry level dietitian, um, enough opportunity in that. Um, but what I really always enjoyed in going back to just wanting to be a scientist and play with mud and dirt. And, um, I have, um, my background is in chemistry and in biochemistry. And so I went on to receive my master's and did quite a bit of bench science in order to write my master's thesis. So actually working in the lab, um, working with bacteria and working with trying to understand the gut microbiome and understanding nutrition on an even deeper level. And I really wanted to go into research science as a dietitian. Um, and then I kind of learned how that direction still didn't fit what it was that I wanted to do. And then really, I just kind of kept getting stuck in this feeling of like, I set out to do something and I still haven't figured out how I'm going to do it and and how I'm going to get there and how I'm actually going to fulfill my purpose and what it is that I meant to do and what, what was all of this for. Um, and so I kept trying to explore the avenues maybe that were easiest or that not even easiest, but just seemed like they were possible or available. Um, and these were more the conventional routes of the dietitian. Yes. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Right. It's actually really interesting because I spoke about this a few episodes ago, a concept of sometimes, you know, the why, but you don't know the how of what you're yes. doing. And sometimes, you know, yeah. how, but you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. I think when you finally make the distinct connection between the two, that's when a lot of the bigger picture starts to become much clearer. And what's really interesting, two things that you said. Number one, I'm, I'm giving a presentation and I'm fascinated with the gut microbiome uh, tomorrow, which is great. Oh, shit. Yeah. And, and, and that to me is like, if we're going to talk about... Thesis. Yeah, if we're going to talk about some of like the most progressive ideas that are out there of what people are trying to understand and what maybe the mm -hmm. public is most unaware of and what scientists are still kind of baffled by is is the deal of, of the mm -hmm. gut microbiome, how the bacteria, the probiotics, the prebiotics and the fiber that's going on inside of there uh, relates to a whole host of GI issues as well as stuff that goes on in the brain because it can mm -hmm. run through the, the gut brain access. It's cool as hell. It's, it's, it's so, really it's super, cool. yeah, it's super fascinating. And I don't want to like 
bore people by getting into like a yeah a whole scientific <laughs> uh whatever veering off onto into like a whole different route but sure. but i think it's uh really interesting that you went the route. And, and also I think it's interesting that a lot of people in, in most professions, like Jordan's profession is one where they might think that in a clinical sense, uh, or in a classical sense, rather, you know, Jordan would be sitting on a couch and have someone in like the Freudian idea, sit down on my couch and tell me all your problems. And for Jordan, that wasn't going to serve him or his purpose of what he wanted to do. And for you, for me as well, the clinical routes, or maybe going, uh, you could have gone food scientist. You could have done, uh, you know, food system service of it and ran a kitchen, but that wasn't going to serve you. And what's nice is that there are many uh, more un- unconventional ways of doing our field of dietetics, doing Jordan's field of psychology, and almost anything out there. You can really create within reason, I guess, whatever you really want to do out there. You really can do whatever you want. Yeah. And that's the scary thing. I was actually talking to somebody about this earlier today. It's that I want to create something that doesn't exist for myself, but then our first place we go is Google because we're trying to find something that's similar um, or something that um, maybe somebody else has done that we can kind of model after. Um, And I think what we just, we can't, then we, all of a sudden we can't find it. So then it's like you said, now we don't know the how, like, we don't know how we're going to do it or we don't know how, um, like how to make that happen. Um, it's tough sometimes when there is no road. I mean, this is the road less traveled, right. Or the road that's never been traveled, which then for any of us is very, something from nothing. Right. It's, It's daunting. It can be very overwhelming. Oftentimes if you take the road, supposedly less traveled, you can in goal setting, you can find someone who's been there and ask them all of the steps that took them to get from a to Z. But this mm-hmm. is really like a, not a, because you don't want to be the thing that you currently are, but there really is no path. That would be like us saying the three of us, Oh, we're going to go to the moon tomorrow. Well, we really don't mm-hmm. know how we're physically going to do or go to Mars or something. Or we're going to do 50 podcasts in a row yeah, or that. What did you, so, okay. Go back to that. Like when you first started your podcast, when did you th- like, did you think you would get to 50? Like what was 50 supposed to feel like? I don't know. I don't even know what it feels like now. Right. I think this is what it was supposed to feel like, like that there was, there was an idea. And instead of going a a friend of ours, who also is the one where I get a lot of this goal setting knowledge from, uh, who was a a prior guest on here, Jeff Blake. Um, he's, he always quotes the, the, the line paralysis by analysis. And the three of us really knew that capturing these conversations could benefit a lot of people. So again, helping people. Uh, seems mm-hmm. to be kind of at the core of a lot of what all of us are doing uh, and right. maybe why we're all connecting like this. But yeah. ultimately, we just started. And mm-hmm. I think I knew we would get to 50 and we would get to 100 and whatever else because we were we were dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. And we would figure it out as we go. And I knew that mm-hmm. the only way that I would commit to this or any content strategy uh is if there was some level of consistency. But you know what helped us is that we worked in flexibility. Uh, if you go back to episode 11 of this podcast, it's pretty much a two-hour hashing out between the three of us of what we actually want to do and if we want to keep doing this. And mm. that's when we pretty much pivoted with the creative direction of the podcast. But the nice thing was that we had this communication of – uh there really aren't rules really besides that every Monday morning we'll publish something. But as you can see, we have a co-host that's not on this episode and that's fine with us. 
mm-hmm. and that's allowed us to be flexible with ourselves and not overcommit to something that doesn't feel good to us. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I- I'm curious. So Justin, myself and our co-host Matt, uh, we swear to you, he's a real person. Um, <laughs> so the three of us, yeah, look him up, Google, Google him and you'll be Google surprised him at what and you'll Randy find. And I'll, <laughs> I'll get um, to know everybody. So the three of us had the luxury of having childhood dreams that we all realized, uh, before we e- exited our teenage years. So wow. that gave us life experience uh, to say, to really have the audacity to execute on whatever we dreamed for ourselves, because we realized that anything is possible if we have the vision and we work really, really hard for it. So with you talking about you're, you're doing this job or you're doing this job and you're tasting all these things within the field, you realize it's not, it's not lighting you up. Uh, what gave you the audacity to choose your own uh, road less traveled? So, um, about a uh, little over two years ago, um, my dad actually became very, very sick to the point where he actually, at the time, he almost passed away. Um, and so, with different things that were happening within my career at that point, Um, and being able to help him and just kind of realizing, you know, and it literally happened like in a day, um, just what I really went through with that and experiencing with that. And I hope nobody has to really hit like, and I wouldn't call it a rock bottom, but kind of have that like in your face realization of like, get your shit together or, you know, um, you'll end your life without really ever living it. Um, And so I was helping my dad and I remember sitting with my dad and, you know, he'd been very sick and he was at home and he turned to me and he's like, I'm really worried about you. And I, it was weird because I was like, you're worried about me. We're all worried about you. And he's like, I'm good. I'm healing. I can tell you're not okay. And nobody had said that to me before because it was like, well, I've got my full-time job, a home, a career, um, you know, a fiance at the time, I was like, what am I doing wrong? What, what are you not seeing that I did? And it really hit me hard because my dad is not a touchy feely person. Again, wrestler, hunter, attorney, like they're criminal defense attorney. Like there's no, um, not a lot of hugs. <laughs> it just, you know, he's not that kind of guy. And so he said that and he didn't really follow it up with anything. Um, but I just thought for him to say something like that, I had to really kind of sit down with myself and go, why am I not okay? Cause I was like, he, he was right. I just didn't, I thought I was doing a better job hiding that I wasn't okay. Um, and it was weird because then, um, a couple days after, and, um, so Mike Dolce, my, my boss, um, at the time I had a severe Ronda Rousey obsession Um, and just, she was so much my inspiration. And so I followed and I actually did judo myself because she did. (laughs) And so I followed anything and everything she did. So I had been following, um, Mike at the time and he, um, within a couple days of my dad making that comment, he had announced that he was having a Dolce diet seminar. And I was like, I have to be there. I don't even know how I'm going to go. I it's in Las Vegas. I have to 
be able to afford it. I don't even have the PTO at the time. Um, I didn't even have, I, I had used up all my PTO actually to be with my dad. Um, and so it was this really weird, like, and, and it kept popping up and I kept seeing it on social media and I, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even actually really know who Mike was. <laughs> I just knew he, he did nutrition like me and I felt this weird connection about it. Um, and so I thought about it and I was like, in order to sign up for this, I have to quit my job. And I have to come up with the money to go and to pay for it and to get there. And I didn't tell anybody and I bought it and I paid for it and I closed my laptop and I didn't say anything for like three years <laughs> and I didn't tell anybody um, because I knew what it meant and I knew what I did. I hadn't even bought a plane ticket. Um, I just knew I had to be there and I was going to figure it out. And so I think a couple days later, I finally told at the time my fiance, I finally broke the news to him that I spent a lot of money. Um, he, he just said, you got to go, you got to be. And he's always been beyond supportive of the bizarre things I do. Um, and so he's like, you got to go, you got to be there. Um, so we bought my plane ticket and then as the date was kind of approaching, I was like, now I need to put in a notice to my job <laughs> and let them know. Um, and so then I, I quit my job. So I, I flew to Vegas. I didn't have a job anymore. I didn't, but I knew I was like, I'm, I'm going to figure this out because he's doing what I want to do. And if I don't just a hundred percent terrify myself, I didn't even know what I was doing. And I was like, if I just don't scare myself and make myself go to this thing, being in a room full of people that have the same passion as me and that are going to push me, if I don't care where you go, if there's something that you really want to do in life, you have to be surrounded by those same, those same people that think those same thoughts as you. Um, and so I, I went and, um, I, this is kind of a, an, a side note. I had to go back to, I might get to shake his hand and talk to him for 10 seconds. And so what, what would I even say? And this was, um, I have some history as in pageants. And so at the time I was like, this is just like when you're trying to, um, can you guys see me? Yep. Yeah. Answer so that important kinda, question. You guys kind of froze a little bit. We're still here. Hello. All right. We're back on. Cool. Okay. So go Perfect. for it. Yeah. So you always get, you know, just a couple seconds to try to stand out in a room full of like 50 girls. Um, and it's incredible. The skills that, um, pageantry can really teach you that all of a sudden transition into real, real life or all of a sudden, um, I'm faced with, I need to introduce myself to this person and make an impression that's memorable enough within 10 seconds. Um, and so again, really going back to just anything in your life that you have an opportunity to put yourself out there and to do, the more you practice, maybe the less scary it is. So when that big moment comes up, you don't completely blow it. Um, and, um, I, I went the whole weekend just kind of knowing there was, God, I think there was like 80 people in the room. Um, and how am I going to stand out to this team, to these people, um, how am I going to make them care about me when they have all of these people in here? And it didn't take a long time for me to stand out because pretty much everybody was from like Nevada, California, Texas. And then <laughs> saying I just flew down from Fargo, North Dakota, and I talked weird. Um, everybody, I, I stood out on my own without really trying. Um, and then just, you know, over time, really getting to know the team and sticking with it. And 
Um, it was funny because during the Dolce Diet certification course, there was a gentleman who came and spoke. His name's Tori Robeson. And if anybody ever has the opportunity to talk to him, even for five minutes, it's impossible to not be incredibly motivated by this man. And, um, he came in and he gave us all a little orange card and he said, on this or he he told a story about how there was somebody who said, you know, I'm just not hitting my goals. I'm not doing anything. And they said, well, pull your goals out of your wallet and let's, let's talk about them. And the guy was like, I, I don't have them in my wallet. And he goes, okay, well, we'll set up a meeting tomorrow. Go pick them up from home and we'll talk about them. And he's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, that's your problem. If you don't have your goals written down and you don't carry them on you every single day and you don't look at them all the time and they don't motivate you, you won't go anywhere. So he gave us all this bright orange card and he said, write down your five goals in, you know, the main five areas of life. And one of the ones I wrote down at the time was I'm going to work for and be a part of Mike Dolce and and the Dolce diet. And within six months, I accomplished that. Um, and it's, it's completely true. You have to force yourself constantly to be uncomfortable and to remind yourself of how crazy your goals are until all of a sudden they aren't crazy and you're doing it. (laughs) You're like, I did that. And then it's, it's just sets off a whole other thing in your head of, wow, what else could I do? And what, what else could I be? Um, but (laughs) it was funny because Mike asks, he's like, so what's your advice to people? I'm like, I guess quit your job and fly to Vegas (laughs) and see what happens. I don't simply put, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to say how I did it or where I kind of got the balls to do it, I guess. But yeah, it just, just one of those things where, you know, you, I really hope that it doesn't always come out of like a stressful situation, but it was one of those things where I could tell I needed change. And it was something that was just enough to scare me that I was like, okay, after I do it and I come home and I do this weird thing, I'll figure out something else and be normal. But the truth is I didn't have a plan. I quit my job. So that was my plan. (laughs) Just to, just to be clear, and I want to make sure everyone knows this, and I'm not sure if you shared it or not, but you were getting targeted uh, by these ads that kept saying, go to this the, the Dolce Diet Conference, right? The DDC yeah. in Vegas. Yeah. And yeah. You, you knew, or, I'm, or I guess I'm asking, did you know that Mike was the nutritionist and was working with Ronda Rousey uh, for yeah. her whole it- UFC career? At the time I did, but I didn't. You know, it was funny. I signed up for the course and then unlike everybody else was there, I was like, well, I should probably read his book. (laughs) This is three weeks to shred it. Oh yeah. And living lean and living lean cookbook and the college diet guide and all of it. I hadn't read, (laughs) I did it like backwards. And so I felt so bad because there were so many people there that had followed Mike since like his early, early career. Um, and even followed him on, um, being on the ultimate fighter. And I just sat there and I had no idea. So I just, and I felt bad because then it was after I flew home and left that I was like, Oh shit. So you were like the non hipster who got into the band once they blew up. I just wanted to talk about nutrition. I was such a science nerd. Like I just, like, I wasn't there. I knew like all I knew was Ronda Rousey. I had no other like MMA, none of it. But maybe you stood out to people in that way. I don't know what I did. <laughs> that, honestly, that that could have been refreshing. Uh, side note: uh, if you do, this, I don't know. If you do follow Ronda Rousey, you may know that she uh, is now a pro wrestler. Yes. So if you're looking to follow in her footsteps, uh, I could I'd be a pro wrestler. <laughs> yeah, I could set you up That's, with our next Ring of Honor we could be dojo session partners, right? 
We could. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, she is looking for a, a WrestleMania partner. Uh, Kurt Angle. An Olympic <laughs> medalist Olympics, in wrestling. Yeah. Wrestler. Yeah. yeah. Another guy oh, probably knows. follower. Don't. <laughs> right. Um, a guy who hopefully knows a good deal about weight cutting. Uh, I think with that, Justin's trying to get me to segue to a question about weight cutting. I'm not going to do it. You can save it. But <laughs> I've, okay. we've bookmarked that. Um, <laughs> I have about 50 questions uh, oh. for episode 50. God, I'm oh. Um <laughs> Have we asked any of them yet? Uh, I'm going to ask one. I'm going to ask one right now. Okay. So <laughs> just like tear that one down. One. So... I really appreciated the story you told about, you know, writing down the goals. You said you wrote five down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which of those five are you the furthest away from accomplishing and why? I, oh God, you know, what's going to, this is going to sound really weird. Um, at the time. So he gave us all these cards and he says, you have to write a date on when you're going to do them. And you, and, um, that was about two years ago. So I have accomplished all of them at this point. So I need to ask Tori for a new card. Um, can you give us the, were there five categories that went yeah. along with each goal? And yeah. can you, can you explain that to us so that if, you know, our group or Jordan and I, or Matt or our mom, Randy want to do this as well, <laughs> we can follow in your footsteps. You know, they're, they're like the family, um, family finance, future fitness, um, and for yourself type categories, you know, what, what are those specific areas in, in, in all of the kind of, for the most part should cover all of the areas of your life. Um, but yeah, one of the goals it's, it's really bizarre. Um, so I went and I, I, attended the DDC. And then I actually, um, I I've taught it now three times and I'm teaching it again in April. So, um, we have our next DDC, April, um, sixth, seventh and eighth. Where is so that? It's in Las Vegas. It's, is it always in Vegas? Sometimes it's moved around. I know, um, Mike lives in Vegas, so that's the most, and it's, it's an international airport. And so it's really easily accept accessible. Um, but I know we've looked at a couple different locations. Um, I believe in the past there's been a couple in like Australia even. Um, but it just, it's, it's super, it's still weird. Like it doesn't ever not get weird because even when I teach it, I look at everybody in the audience and I'm like, God, what are you guys going to be like anything? Because I'm like, I like, I'm like on the other side of it, just still feeling like I could very easily sit right back with everybody else and be attending because I just did. And I was that person. Could you so describe not separation there? There's no separation between like the teachers and everybody in the room because I, I once attended my own class. <laughs> yeah. Could, could you describe if, if there even is uh, a, a typical, person or, or kind of like the average person is doing what who shows up at the at their time are are you getting a lot of dietitians are you getting nutritionists are you getting people from the MMA world outside the MMA world do you see people that uh you can heavily relate to or that are in a similar position as you when you do these mm -hmm. absolutely so there's no there's no prerequisites to attending the Dolce Diet course. You don't even need to have a high school degree or a GED or anything. Just really that interest in just, I want to surround myself with people that are trying to make a difference in the health and fitness community. Um, so we've had 
anywhere from doctors to, you know, people that are just trying to help themselves and they just want to know the knowledge. Um, it's a college level course condensed into like three days. Um, so it's, it's intense. We talk about how to start your own, um, health and fitness business. Um, we talk about being motivated. We talk about what, what that looks like becoming, um, Dolce diet certified and the things that you can do within that world, um, becoming a coach, um, and the exposure that you can get and, and what that certification means for you, um, as a professional. But, um, there are some people that choose to use it just to go back home within their own home community and just work within, um, their family to share the information. And then some people do take it, um, a lot of steps forward and, um, become coaches. And so there's, it's hard to not relate to every single person in that room because you, for me, I've been at that stage at some point. So you say you're teaching at these things. So what exactly mm -hmm. are you teaching? And, uh, if I observed you doing it, what would that look like? Are you, what kind of room are you in? How many people are you speaking to? So this next course is going to be, I always want to call it the Diablo and I did the Delano. <laughs> it's actually the hotel is called. So it's a large hotel, um, convention center. And, um, my part that I'm primarily teaching is on, um, not so much medical nutritional therapy, but just going back to, um, metabolism and, um, we talk, if I go specifically into the curriculum, we talk about carbohydrates, fats, proteins on a cellular level, on a scientific level, because it's really important not to just understand them from maybe high school biology, but we're going to understand them from the lens and the perspective and the context of how we use them in nutrition and how we talk about the cell. We talk about, um, the dis different disease processes. We talk about, um, creating a healthy diet and, and what that looks like. Um, the bones, micronutrients. I mean, it's, it's a lot in, in a weekend. So it's, it's, um, I try me as a, um, as a teacher. And it was funny because when I taught the Dolce diet course, I, for the first time I had to really sit down and go, I've never taught anything. <laughs> so what, what is my teaching style? And that was just kind of the first, yeah, throw into like the biggest place you could ever need to teach this. Um, and I had to figure out my teaching style kind of in that moment. And the thing that I picked up on is even though there is like a PowerPoint and everybody's taking notes and there's a large textbook. So if you, um, you know, you're not a book learner or a reader, I try my hardest to stay off of the PowerPoint and to stay out of the book and to just talk candidly and to make the content relative to what people are actually doing. So make it more relatable and to talk about it, um, in a context that's more universally understandable so that, um, it's not just always, I guess the terminology and things are at a, at a level that's too difficult for people if they don't already have a background. Um, so my hope is, is that everybody gets something out of, out of listening to, to the course in a context that they're able to, when you're reading like a blog or something online or something that you want to know more about, you kind of have a, you can kind of sift through maybe what's true or what's not true about, about that article or about that specific topic. Um, so that maybe you can have more of your own background to say, okay, I think this is how it works. I think this is what they're saying. I think this is what we, what I should do. In, in slightly pivoting from the actual conference itself, um, you're 
I just want to make sure I'm correct on this. You're working with private clients one-on-one uh, all over the world using Skype or some kind of internet protocol, right? To be able to have a, a video content with them and have a rapport. Um, your average person is not going to have a science background. So how do you take the message and make it uh, more digestible or easily relatable to your average person? I think I have to do it the way that I learned it. (laughs) So like the way that I teach it is the way I have to think it in my head of like, this is when cells are happy. This makes them sad. (laughs) 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 Like that's, that's what I had to tell myself. And I'm like, okay, but if that's how I learned it, God, I hope it makes sense for somebody else. Sure. Or else maybe I just sound crazy up there the whole time. I probably, probably a mix of both column A and column B. Um, but you know, it always, I don't care at what level you are in science. Um, it always seems to just come back to kind of do what your grandma said. If, you know, if your grandma couldn't read it on a label or didn't understand it on a label, you probably shouldn't eat it. So if your grandma didn't have, um, you know, if there's like a chemical and a long name and, you know, your grandma didn't have that, then it's probably good advice on the most basic things that you can think of. Like if we were to even ask a child, what is, what am I supposed to, what are you supposed to eat? They'll probably tell you they're supposed to eat more fruits and vegetables. They know, um, do they need to know that it's because there's fiber and because there's pre and probiotics and do they need to know all of the things about phytonutrients? No, whatever gets you to eat the damn strawberry. I don't care. Um, but there's, you know, other ways that we can drill down even deeper on a scientific level. Um, because it's so funny. I, my thesis is probably like the most convoluted, like just full of crazy terminology, just everything thrown into it. And then in the end, it's like, well, what is it really saying? And it's eat your fiber. And how long has that been a message in the health and fitness community when it comes to people that are trying to lose weight and maintain weight and feel fuller? And it's, we're always talking about fiber. So do we need all of these other, um, additional terms on top of it? Probably not. Um, but it's interesting to almost have additional proof as to why kind of what we've always known as a baseline as a foundation is actually still true. So I try to not make it too difficult because at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be. Um, there's just nerds like me and Justin that want to know the big nerdy world of it. But for the most, most average person every day, they're like, I have other interests I'm trying to pursue. I do care about health and eating, but I don't want to know the nitty gritty details about it. So I, I try to keep it simple, but then still add in why on a cellular level it's important and it's important to know these things a little deeper. As a, as a professional, uh, with the fiber message that you wrote in this thesis, how do you get people to steer clear of the tactical marketing of brands like fiber one, right? Or, or even in the nutrition world, right? We talk about supplements. We talk about an easy one to look at is like, um, quest nutrition or the quest bar, uh, and the, the one bars that are out there currently that use one specific version of fiber when we know that we really need to eat a lot of different variations of it. If we look at tribes and different people all over the world, all mm-hmm. the diverse fiber is what makes up 
I think where, what you're going for, but a lot of people just see fiber and they blanketly pass it off. And that happens in, um, that's a lot of like what's espoused in the nutrition world. It's very confusing. And even us as the, me as a, as a getting to be professional and you as a professional in the field, um, it's, it's still not even a hundred percent clear to us, right? So how, how do you cut through the noise of what's out there? It's so unfair um, because, you know, if, if the message is because unfortunately, like we do, we try to make it really simple of, you know, eat your protein and then people see the word protein on something and they go, this has protein in it. I was told I need to eat this. And then without flipping it over and looking at all of the other ingredients that are in it or look or knowing how to read that nutrition label you know, people put some, they'll put things on it. Like my favorite for a while was this is gluten-free and people are like, well, I heard I'm not supposed to have gluten. So I'm going to pick this product because I don't even know if I have a problem or not, but I heard gluten's bad. This says gluten-free. I'm just going to eat it. Um, you know, without really even knowing what a lot of the terms mean. So when they see, like you said, they see the word fiber, they see, um, probiotic. I don't, all these different terms that the marketing buzzwords in marketing. Yeah. So the biggest thing that I found once I start working one-on-one with somebody, and that's really how it starts because we can't unfortunately undo what we have done as a society within this wide level marketing. So it always, you know, we always say it starts with you and that one drop in the ocean and that one person you can help. And that one person helps one person. So the one thing that I really ask people when we do, um, we go through our nutrition assessment form together and we're going through all these questions. I, a lot of why, why are you eating this? Why, what, you know, when you're having your fiber one bar, why, how does it make you feel? Why are you choosing this? And and that would be a, a product that would light up for me. Um, and seeing that, um, and I can honestly tell you every single time I've ever asked someone why it's because they either saw someone else doing it or they thought it was good for them. And that really sucks because it's like, then the message just becomes, you know, well, it's food. I'm going to eat it. I don't really know why. I don't really know why I'm putting this in my body, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it in my body. Um, and that's the insanity that is the marketing in this country and what we trust and believe on a label and on a package without digging a little deeper to understand things. Um, I definitely even learned, um, within the research community, um, Sometimes you have to really read into where the research came from that you're reading because there's enough bias in who funded the study or who backed it or what was what was the message that they needed it to say in the end because ultimately where's the money come from to, coming from to back these studies and when you kind of get into that dirty world of research that was kind of the space where I realized this wasn't for me because it depends on what message they want to get out of it in the end. And that's how you build the study so that you know you'll get certain results. So I'm going to plead uh, ignorance on nutrition in general. Uh, and I think Justin can attest to it. I eat relatively clean for someone living in the Western world. Uh, and I do... Those pretzels earlier were... 
They, they looked clean. <laughs> they were, and they're amazing and they're loud, especially when picked up <laughs> from this Rode microphone. Um, so, but I, I listened to my body. I know if I'm going to eat. So like if I do something like have a success, I'll go to Chick-fil-A and I'll get the chicken sandwich with the fries and a lemonade. And Spicy. I know, no, just normal, normal. original. I know I'm going to feel like shit, <laughs> but I know that's what my body is going to tell me. So because of that, I'm, I, I think I do have a healthy, uh, relationship uh with my body in that sense um but as i said let me just be the average person uh to figure out which fiber is the quote right one for me that's fucking hard when i'm also trying to figure out what the right medicine or medical intervention is for me when i'm trying to figure out which uh source of media consumption is quote right for me when I'm trying to figure out which politician is right for me. There's a lot of uh, information that's time consuming and difficult that we need to sift through to make any decisions, let alone figure out how to like, you know, like support ourselves and have a good time while we're living. What's the like, the super, super digestible, like, here's the one, two, three bullet points of how someone like me can make informed decisions about what I put into my body. So there's the four Dolce principles and the biggest one, not the, I, damn it, they're all equal. Um, but the biggest one, I guess, that's related to what you're talking about is eating things in great variety. But that also goes back to kind of the principle number one, which is always pretty much eating things that are natural and organic, as close to being as natural as you can get. Um, so that doesn't always have to mean, because um, even purchasing things that say that they're organic, if you do research on that, you're going to uncover some dirty things. Um, so just being more aware of where your food comes from. And even, you know, if you're, if you have access to a garden, if you can grow it yourself, if you can, you know, and it's kind of cool because once you start doing that, you're actually supporting local, um, farmers and you're supporting your own, um, local community. And, um, I, you know, with farmers markets and things like that, you're just, you're able to get more in tune with where your food came from. And then you're kind of proud of it. And, and you, you have more of a sense of, now I know what's going into my body. And so you're more careful about it and you think through it a little bit more. Um, but then just going back to eating things in variety. So I think there's always these articles and they always say, these are the three fibers you should be eating, or these are the three antioxidants, or these are the, you know, 10 probiotic foods, or I don't even care what they, there's always these top 10 lists. And so it's made us over time as a culture think that there's gotta be a one best. And it's the way that we even, you know, we have sports where we're always looking for who's the best, where's the number one, what's the, and the unfortunate thing about the body is that it doesn't work where you could only ever feed it one thing because your body and the way that it works like biology, it depends on so many different mechanisms and so many different organisms happening at the same time that if you were to narrow yourself down to only eating 10 to 20 different foods, there's going to be different systems that are going to be interrupted. And the body's actually pretty cool in that what it'll do is it'll adapt to that and it'll adjust to that through all of the different ways throughout history that we've learned to adapt to stress and that we've evolved. 
Um, but you don't want to be in those places. You don't want to be sending out those stress hormones. You don't, you don't want to be in that space. Um, so you, you want to have a diet full of variety. Um, you know, all different types of, um, you know, everybody's always, what's the best vegetables? What's the best fruit? It's like all of them, just eat them. Please eat a vegetable and not a pop tart today. Um, that's more, I guess what my goal would be for somebody, um, is to just think of, I'm not always trying to do the number one best thing on a blog. I'm trying to do just what's best in variety. The other principles we always talk about are, um, eating every two to three hours based on activity. Um, and then eating until you're satisfied and not until you're full. So if, if you just kind of, you know, went through just thinking of those four things in your day, just brass tasks, like basics, you'll be very successful. Um, two follow-up questions. Um, what's the difference between satisfied and full and what's your favorite pop tart? Oh, gross. I don't like Pop-Tarts. They're disgusting. <laughs> You're allowed to like Pop-Tarts, even if you don't consume said Pop-Tart. I will say when I was a kid, I, God, I haven't even had one in years. Like I used to eat uh, like the cinnamon ones. Yep. Yep. But I don't. Ugh, brown I sugar, don't, cinnamon, goodness. The brown, yeah. Brown yep. sugar, cinnamon, I think. But That's kind of gross had. to me. It is. Yeah. The best one clearly oh, was the... the I say blueberry. No, the frosted strawberry with sprinkles. That you could. Oh, I no. No, no. Granted, <laughs> I, granted, I don't consume pop tarts. Right. Um, I, I don't even consume like or even care for like when someone makes a puff pastry, fresh, real, mm-hmm. supposedly pop tart. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people in uh, the fitness world who will try to get carbs in the middle uh, of a workout, like intra carbs. And mm-hmm. they might go for something super simple. And that may, to me, may, may be the only time that the Pop-Tart is like, all right, maybe a Pop-Tart. But there's still way better choices. We know that. Right. Absolutely. Of course. Um, and, and then what was, so knowing the difference between when you're satisfied and you're full. So if you're eating until you're full, like that Thanksgiving full, like you're looking at your plate and you're like, I really can't even eat another bite, but you're a member of like the clean plate club and you know, you need to eat your whole plate just because that's the message you've sent yourself. Um, usually within 20 minutes of eating, you're going to start to send those hormone signals and you're going to start to, your body's going to start to recognize based on your stomach's going to start sending signals to your brain saying, Hey, we're kind of getting full down here. Um, that's when you should stop. You should stop when you feel like I could go for, you know, if you're done eating and you're like, I could still go for like a light 30 minute jog. That's how you should feel when you're done eating. If you keep eating to the point where you're like Thanksgiving day full unbuttoning my pants, I need a nap we went too far. So you should always just kind of have this light. Like if I needed to get up and run as like a defense mechanism, I should always be able to feel like I could do that. That makes sense. I I hate that, that idea of having to finish your plate. And I understand where it comes from. And what I'd suggest that if you're in control, like say you're at a buffet, then be mindful that you don't waste food. Uh, But I hate that pressure uh, that I've, I'm not going to say, well, I guess it's true. I have felt it even in the past six did months. Randy, did Randy make you clean your plate? <laughs> no. Yes, <laughs> yes, like a dog um, on my knees. Yeah. Um, I felt it 
by multiple people. And again, it may have been like Randy with the wrestling story where I just projected that pressure as if it was theirs on, on to myself. Um, but just this idea that, look, if that's what you're served, because that's what the chef serves you, or that's who your friend's mom serves you when you go to their house for dinner. Uh, like I call bullshit on that. It's disrespectful not to finish the plate. Um, I, I get leftovers. I take leftovers all the time. Like people Mm -hmm. know that about me and people have even commented on, you know, commented that to me. Uh, and it's like, yeah, motherfucker, I listen to my body and like i'm not gonna give in to any sort of social pressure that you may put on me maybe because it's been put on to you uh to finish the food in front of me uh because i don't want to feel like shit and i want to get a second meal out of this later tonight Mm -hmm. yeah it's cool that you you said it that way and that like i love this food so much i want to save it and eat it again later and actually if you still have any leftovers i'll take them home so i don't have to cook tomorrow like i wish more people i've I've never thought of it that way actually but i wish more people could kind of have that perception of it so it's it's not feeling rude um because it's just something that we have just kind of passed down through generations of like you need to eat all your food so you're not wasting food you're not being rude wherever that message kind of comes from for people but it's a real it's it's real for so many people that like but there's food still here. I could I still taste so good. I should eat all of it. And I think for a lot of people, they don't they don't even have the awareness that that's a belief they hold. Mm-hmm. So it, there's it, there's no there's not even the consciousness to question it. So maybe there is a couple of people listening to this where maybe a light bulb's going off of, you know what, like that is this thought that I often have, but don't even realize it. Or maybe the next time that you're having a meal, uh, maybe it will pop up and you'll notice it. True story. My lunch yesterday, Chipotle was also my breakfast this morning. There you go. Way to reuse your food. (laughs) I I think there's actually a a few lessons that, that we can, uh, take away from this as well. And that, I think a lot of times people are are tapped into the wrong system when they sit down to eat. A lot of people experience maybe not food scarcity, but they may maybe were in competition with a sibling uh, when they were younger. So distinguishing parasympathetic from the sympathetic nervous system and actually taking a couple deep breaths before you start to eat to actually know that you're in this like rest and digest kind of phase and not this fight or flight will aid in slowing down when you eat your meal and actually getting to that point where leptin kicks in and telling you, hey, I'm full, I can stop. The other is actually just being mindful and aware when you are eating and being conscious of the fact that you're eating. So not being as distracted, but if you are out to eat and engage in conversation, still trying to be aware of the fact that when you do get full, knowing that just because your conditioning of the past has taught you that, hey, I normally just keep going. I eat anyway. That's what I normally do. doesn't mean that that defines you or that that is something that's like set and you have to always adhere to that. I think there's so many people that they, we never really sit back and ask why we do anything and to really understand where things came from. And eating is just one of those things that it becomes like, I have to do it anyway. I have to eat anyway. So it just kind of becomes a behavior that just kind of goes on autopilot and gets dragged along through whatever other chaos that we're doing. And 
nobody, you know, whenever I start working with people, especially with nutrition and behavior, the reason why we do such an in-depth assessment and really getting to know everybody is because it's kind of like having a three-legged table. You can't fix one without addressing everything else in your life. And so it really sucks because everybody, you know, so many people, when they initially come to work with us, they say, "I, I work out right. And I, Um, you know, I, I think I sleep okay. And I, you know, I have the normal amount of family stress and my work keeps me really busy, but I just, I know I don't eat right. And the unfortunate sucky thing is that we have to make all of it work or none of it works. You can't really sort of have nutrition because if, like you said, if you're eating distracted, if you're eating quickly, if you aren't allowing yourself to have kind of that less stressful moment around your meals, you are still being affected in other areas of your life. Um, and it's going to get carried on over into how you deal with everything. Um, so it's really tough to decide, you know, everybody that does this new year's resolution of I'm going to go on this diet and I'm going to eat better and it's going to solve everything. And in 30 days, I'm going to look like this and all my problems will be solved. Um, it's really tough because you can white knuckle your nutrition just like you can anything else. And you can get yourself through your 21, 30, 90 day program. I don't care what it is. And then on day 91, on day 104, everything falls apart again because it all has to work together in order to really see the success and the results you want. So even when people say, you know, I want to, I'm going to see a counselor and a psychiatrist because I want to work on, um, these different areas in my life that I need to talk through. And usually I'm I'm sure you would agree, Jordan, that it comes with even more other areas that need to all fit together. You can't ever just fix one and then you're fixed. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I mean, even in my, in my own personal therapy, uh, I'm exploring things that are miles away from the initial reason why I went for the first session. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, it's it's been helpful to see even my own personal process as as a big picture, and to really see how all the how the pieces are interconnected and and to your point influence one another. Uh, oftentimes, I feel like there's whether it's food or psychology or, or, or whatever it may be. Uh, oftentimes, we tend to treat the surface and. So yeah, we can kind of like, it's, then it's like whack-a-mole. Well, we can like fix this mm-hmm. one thing, but the underlying thing is still there and it just shows up in a different form. And it's easy to always say, cause I think we, you know, I, <laughs> I don't remember where it came from, but somebody kind of, I think it was like in a joke in a movie once where somebody said, if you ever feel good about your body, you're lazy and you've lost the battle. And so you should always be trying to better yourself and you should never be satisfied. And I, unfortunately is, I don't think there's anybody that ever really is. We're always trying to do one better. And so whenever you're feeling like I'm not fulfilling my goal or I'm not fulfilling where I want to be, or I'm not doing what it is I want to do, the easy one to blame is it must be my body and my eating and my food and my workout. And that's like the first place people go looking for self-help. And it's, it's gotta go along with so many other areas of your life that you're all working on together, but it's scary to have to address that thing. That's like, what's the real reason? Like, why are you really, you know, what's actually really happening? Why we can't make, you know, 
change things for you? Why every year you put on 10 more pounds rather than lose 10 more pounds or maintain? Like what, what has been going on for years? And there's usually a lot more, um, going underneath that. And so one of the things I'm always really interested in is just learning about, um, intuitive eating and behavioral eating and what really comes along with that. Because I don't care who you are, whether you are, everybody has the same, tendencies, whether you're an athlete or you, you know, work a nine to five or you're a shift worker or a cop, or I don't, I don't care what it is that you do. We all are drawn to kind of that same type of behavior. And so where, where do those signals really come from? And that's what I really, I find interesting in learning from people. Meg, I'm curious, when do you feel best in your body and what does that mean to you? (sighs) That's a loaded question. Oh my gosh. Um, this is episode 50. Uh, that's <laughs> is that question five? This is no, questions two through 50. <laughs> nobody ever, yeah, it's weird kind of even just feeling like I'm on the other side of this because I'm so used to kind of being the one that asks questions and nobody asks me. Um, when do I feel the best? Um, in all honesty, it goes back to I feel the best when everything just feels like I've been making it all work. Like, when you do all the things that you know you need to do and nothing was missing, like at the end of the day before you go to bed and you know you're going to get enough sleep at night because of it, that like everything, not even just with, with eating and following the principles of just when my stress is managed and my sleep is managed and um, I feel confident because of the work I'm doing, I think that's honestly the biggest one for me in the last few years is that I just feel like such a different person because I feel like my work actually is purpose driven. And then that makes me find the other areas of my life have purpose too. Um, so it makes me not have those same low self-esteem self-love moments that you maybe have when you're like a 16 year old. Um, you know, because it's tough to find purpose when you're a teenager, I think. Um, but you know, as an adult, it's like, I can get away from that thought of this is what maybe my body's supposed to look like according to Instagram. And I just feel good because I, I feel like I actually have purpose regardless of what people think I look like. Um, I'm actually really curious to that point of, of this aesthetic or what we feel like we're supposed to look like, uh, as a person who in high school is when I kind of started my foray into having undiagnosed eating disorders and trying to lose weight that I had put on by watching what my mom and Jordan's mom, Randy, uh, was doing, you know, different things, Weight Watchers and low carb and Atkins and high carb, whatever else was out there at the time, but uh, not really understanding why you know, the, the mechanism behind all of these diets. And that is, I think what really now at this point in my life shifted me towards, uh, understanding and the field of dietetics, but going back, um, Jordan and I actually, we, we played in bands together for a really long time. And a big part of that was this aesthetic. And for mm-hmm. me, I always felt, I, I definitely dealt with body dysmorphia, not actually seeing myself for what it was. And even though people would tell me like, Oh, you look so great, or you look thin or whatever else it was, uh, the psychology that the deep rooted issue of that was never really fixed at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I brought this up on the podcast before as, uh, as well, but really early on. And, and I think it's interesting to bring back at this point in that I, I do feel that I am not as hard on myself as I once was, but I am hard on myself in trying to present, um, a specific 
version of myself, which is me, uh, mm-hmm. because, because I have a high standard. I don't believe in, in perfection, but I believe that the practice makes progress and we're always, you know, in that progression. Um, but as a professional in the field where it is very aesthetically driven, where people look at a six pack and think that's optimal health, how do you break those walls and those barriers down? <laughs> the, the and you come from the pageant like, world. So that's, you yes. know, I'm sure you understand the aesthetic. Yes. Of being on stage. The, the best example I have of is a six pack, the ultimate, like, you know, I've achieved health is watch any kid in high school that has a six pack and then watch what they eat and they do all day. And, uh, they maybe have what we have decided as society is, you know, a, a great body because they have muscle to them. But in reality, what they're doing and how they're treating their body every day probably doesn't match. It's probably just more hormone driven. Um, but you know, coming from that aesthetic side, I think that it's really important to always challenge yourself. It's really good, you know, to have these goals of like, you know, I want to fit in this size or I want, you know, I, I've always wanted to have my arms look a certain way or, but it's, it's when it starts causing you anxiety or depression, or you start kind of going in a different direction where that thought isn't even serving you and you just kind of want it. Now it's just stressing you out. Now it's maybe become a goal that has morphed into something that's not healthy. So like if I have a goal, um, you know, like some, some type of a business goal, for whatever reason, because that's external, that doesn't pressure me the same way for, for people with their body. All of a sudden, like you look at your body and like, I'm, I'm a failure because I look this way, but other goals don't cause that same amount of anxiety. And it should be the same way when you're thinking about your body, you shouldn't have, um, you know, and I, I I don't know all of the exact, um, psychological terms for it, but just giving yourself, um, so much anxiety and stress that now it's not even fun for you anymore. Like the challenge isn't exciting for you anymore. The way maybe it is with like building a brand or a business or, um, working on a relationship, um, you know, all, all of those types of things. If, if it's not fun, you probably shouldn't be pursuing it. Um, but I guess from, from an, an aesthetic point of view, it's really interesting because, I can do labs on so many people and it'll turn out that they're incredibly healthy, um, and that they're doing very well, but maybe their, their body just happens to, to look a different way or present a different way. Um, and on, on the other side of it, I have seen some labs of some people that everyone would say that must be the epitome of health and that they have achieved it. And they feel like shit every day. And they actually, they feel sick. They, they actually, they don't feel good. Um, their labs show that they don't look good. So actually, um, it's, it's really private and personal to be able to say if you're in optimal health or not, because there's no Instagram picture that's really going to show that that is the actual epitome of what we're all trying to achieve. Yeah. I think a, a, a good, simple way that sometimes I think about it is just this, this outward aesthetic that, that people are presenting doesn't really show the picture of what's going on at a micro level internally. So yeah, look, I mean, uh, no matter, no matter what diet you're, you're trying or, or fitness regimen you're working on or whatever you're doing for your health, uh, it's always good to, to have your blood drawn and look at actual biomarkers to see what your health looks like. And 
not to get too deep into it, but don't always take the first reading as the base, you know, try to get multiple readings if possible, if, if your insurance will, uh, will allow for that. And, uh, and a lot of factors are going to, are, could, uh, influence it, whether it's stress or sleep, uh, or dehydration or other things. So, um, there's definitely a lot into that, but yeah, the outward aesthetic, I, I always try to keep that in check, that it doesn't necessarily present health from, from an internal standpoint. You know, and that's one of the things that's unfortunate that we can't show on Instagram. Like nobody's going to take a picture and be like, I got all my sleep last night, or I finally, like, you know, I finally overcame this internal anxiety I've been having. Like, how do you display that for people to get likes and to be proud of, I guess. The um, three of us can start an initiative if someone's yes. not already doing it. I'm sure there is someone who, who talks about how they get nine hours plus of sleep every night and right. they're living this optimal life. So I'm sure it's yeah. out there, but if not, the three of us can start that. But I think it's hard because you can take a picture of yourself doing this cool thing in the gym and you can take a picture of yourself like, oh my God, I'm getting an ab. You know, like you can... You, like you Singular, can show, just one. Just one ab out of right. six. <laughs> like you middle can, right yeah the one i really wanted you can <laughs> jordan has that you, one the just the one the middle the right yes yeah. i've worked <laughs> my whole life i've worked 50 For the episodes. middle right ab <laughs> but i think like you can you can take a picture of certain things but you can't take a picture when your mental health is figured out except i mean you could take, take a picture of you smiling and then you know <laughs> say underneath why that's important but that's not going to get as many likes as somebody of some girl's butt in yoga pants it's just not and then that's not as rewarding for people so somehow chasing after the perfect body and then people approve me for it that's that's where social media i think kind of has a disconnect so a few points are just jumping out at me uh, one, and really for those listening, one, we have to dig into, uh, what metrics, uh, are we really using, uh, to give us positive feedback? And if likes on Instagram is the key metric, well, then like sucks for you. Um, <laughs> two, uh, this is something that I've, this is something that I've, I've shared in the past of, so I'm really big into mindfulness meditation and, and I share a lot about it, uh, professionally, uh, and especially to mental health practitioners and, uh, the trend that is happening, uh, and that I've seen, uh, developing for a long time is that, uh, basically mindfulness as a practice and as a culture is following yoga, uh, which has a lot of similarities in our culture. We've treated yoga as more of a physical exercise and, and all the emotional, spiritual, uh, benefits in this culture are a bit more secondary. Uh, but the reason is because we live in a very, uh, physical culture. Uh, and part of that is because, like, we can see our physical nature, right? Mm -hmm. We can't, and to your point, we really can't see mental health. So it's harder for us yeah. to make sense of it. Uh, mm -hmm. But the more that we talk about it, the more that people like the three of us have conversations and publish them, uh, then slowly we're being, you know, that that one drop or that one wave. And we're uh, creating an expanded consciousness of what it means to to both uh, experience ourselves, but also to, I guess, in a way, judge ourselves or not judge ourselves. Third point real quick. Uh, and this came to me. Uh, I watched the show The Voice a couple hours ago, 
He did. Uh, I did. And Not American Idol. Did you sing along? Was that? Did you sing too? Did I sing too? Uh, no, but I cry a lot when I watch it. And that's oh. one of the reasons why I watch it. Uh, because as a man who uh, probably is more emotional than the average like North Dakotan man, uh, <laughs> I find it difficult to, to be, I guess, inspired or to put myself into positions to cry. I found a show like that does really emotional storytelling uh, in, in, a, in a nice way. Uh, side note, anyway. They're just getting you, man. Uh, so we're talking about looking at people, like physically, and, and having some sort of uh, reaction, uh, so specifically on Instagram. Uh, Alicia Keys is one of the judges or, I don't know, mentors on, on the show. Uh, her eyes... It's her eyes and, and it's what's communicated through her eyes uh, in this episode tonight that really struck me. I found her to be so gorgeous by the way that uh, that she communicated through her, her gaze. Mm-hmm. And, and it had really nothing to do with her six pack or no six pack. Um, but I felt her uh, through her eyes and we can't like go to the gym and work on that. Right. No. There is that guy. However, maybe you're on the same wavelength as I am, but there is a guy who literally his whole, uh, his whole MO in his business is he goes out and he stares. There's this gaze and it's almost, um, a religious experience behind it where he stares and people just look at him and it is like everything to them. So mm-hmm. this does exist somewhere in the world. Sure. And I guess, for I guess a large amount of people, I guess my point is, uh, for those listening, maybe start paying a bit more attention to not so much what you're communicating through your bicep, but what you're communicating through your spirit. So through your eyes, through the smile or not through your presence. And really, I guess presence is the most simplistic term to use. Uh, we communicate a lot to the world and for many people, uh, working on our physical body gives us a sense of confidence as we express ourselves to the world. Uh, but I'd encourage all of us to maybe go a bit deeper and, and even to ask ourselves, why is it the bicep or why is it that right middle ab that gives us the most uh, joy or confidence or pleasure to, to then present to the world? Yeah, I think there's... I remember one time we were talking about, um, Oprah and we were just saying how, you know, everybody is so inspired by Oprah and, and probably aesthetically, actually, if, if people are really honest by how we judge in our culture, how we judge beauty, somebody might say, you know, they don't find Oprah necessarily attractive, but why are so many people just attracted to her? And it's because of her spirit and her kindness and what it is that she wants to leave as a legacy to people. And, you know, if you, if you go back to really thinking about, you know, how I'm, why is this important to me? And what is this story that I'm, that I'm telling myself, like, you know, I'm, I'm telling myself that I can't do this because my mom thinks this of me and this person will think this is stupid. And maybe this person thinks I'm ugly and we're hard enough on ourselves. We don't need to think other people think those things too. And mostly throughout the day, 
if you are thinking those types of thoughts, a lot of other people, you know, unfortunately, maybe you deserve some of it right back at yourself because that's really unfair to look at somebody and to not know what they've been through. Um, you know, somebody may have already lost a hundred pounds when you're looking at them and you don't know that side of their story and that they are doing very well. Um, somebody, you know, psychologically maybe going through some different things that, that you can't see or you'll never know um, that was a big accomplishment to them. And they probably won't share with you and, and you probably won't ask. But I think, um, you know, it, it really just goes back to if we were all just kinder to ourselves and kinder to other people, so many of these beliefs and thoughts that we have within this narcissistic health and fitness world of achieving the perfect body probably wouldn't be ex exist. And we'd probably get a lot more shit done if we weren't so focused on our own looks. Um, and if we didn't have that as like a mask or as a barrier in front of us, we would probably actually just go out and achieve things if we weren't worried about what other people thought. There's actually a great piece. I, I saw the other day, and I think it was the Cleveland Clinic, if I'm not mistaken. I'll find the piece and I'll actually share it in the Facebook group with this episode. But it was just a whole piece from the hospital on empathy of really mm -hmm. just trying to see through the eyes of other people and how important that really is. And I mean, everything from, you know, this nurse or this doctor is on the, the 12th or 16th hour of, of their shift. And, you know, this person just got the good news that the, the, the tumor is benign, right? Uh, and this one just got the news that, that like their, their cancer has proliferated and is now like stage four. And this one got that. And this one got that. And like, you really have no idea what others are going through. And I think to Jordan's point and to your point, I, I think it is really important for people to tap more into uh, this consciousness and, and connecting on such a deeper level than the aesthetic and, and how, if this was the point that was driven home more often, or this was the conversation that was, that was being had with more people, uh, then we would probably take less time with certain details and we would maybe focus on somewhat of the bigger picture. And I think to, to relate that to a, in a fitness sense, that would be doing these compound lifts where you're hitting at least more, more than one muscle at a time. And to hit it, uh, in, in maybe the, uh, a consciousness or like a, a meditative or a spiritual sense, we, we would probably spend as much time maybe as we do spend at the gym, equally spending on meditating and doing yoga and Tai Chi and all these other forms. And that would probably help us out immensely. Absolutely. So in the spirit of empathy, uh, I want to be mindful of your time and how generous you have been. Uh, oh. so we are going to wind it down, but we have a couple questions from people in our Facebook group. Uh, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissant. So if you're listening and you're not a part of the group, uh, which is about 1600 strong right now, uh, we encourage you to join. Uh, you're in there, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're, you're yeah. newly in the yeah. group. Yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah. I've been following for a while. And that's one of the fun things that I always see is all the comments always seem to be what the community or what somebody has said that actually resonated and helped them. And that's what I think is so cool about it. Be like, everybody's really super supportive. It's a really incredible community. Yeah. So if you're listening and that speaks to you, uh, please join us. It's a private group. We will accept you. It's private for a reason. And that's so we can create uh, a, a sense of trust and, and uh, a deeper type of community. So first question comes from our bud, Matt Thomas. And, and he asks, uh, what do they, uh, so Dolce, uh, consider a safe amount of weight to cut 
Um, or what? Do they, yeah, what do they consider a safe amount of weight to cut for a professional athlete during a training camp? Uh, he recognizes that bodies are different, uh, so 15 pounds for a male isn't necessarily the same for a female. Uh, but he says there has to be a range that you guys find to be safe, and he wonders how that matches up with some of the new regulation uh, that's coming from the commissioning bodies. For most anybody to be incredibly successful with their weight cut in general, they really shouldn't weigh too much further off than 10 to 15% of what that weight is that they fight at. So your walk around weight should, you should pretty much just be on weight. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to the scary things that have been traditionally done throughout weight cutting, um, it's, it's a dehydration process. Um, you know, that's why you see the sauna suits. That's why you see people, um, you know, running in a sauna, which is insane. Um, and just doing a lot of dangerous things that are going to essentially cause dehydration. And so how much do you really want to actually dehydrate your body before you are going to go in and, you know, you're trying to kick the shit out of somebody else and they're trying to do the same thing back. Like what would you consider performing at your best? Um, and so when we are working with clients and with athletes that are with, that are in a weight dependent sport, what we want to do and the reason why we don't just come in, you know, the last week, right. You know, the last week of fight camp or the, you know, that last, like we stay throughout the year with these individuals. We're, we're working with them all the time because we want to make sure that if at any point you get that phone call that says somebody was injured you're able to actually get, cause we want you to make money. We want you to be ready. We want you to be someone that your boss can rely on and count on to be ready to do the job. So if you are, you know, you weigh 180 and you need to weigh 135, you know, and, and you get that phone call, you're not, you're going to have a rough time. <laughs> and we, we don't want anybody walking. We want you to be able to do your job and we want you to be able to do your job successfully. So within 10 to 15% of that, whatever weight class it is that you're fighting in, that's where we want to see your just general walk around weight at. Um, because we don't want you to have to do anything that's going to be unsafe. We want you to perform at your best. And so optimally, um, you know, we want you to be, primarily have a lot of muscle on you so that we're not, you know, it's just an easy water manipulation. It's, it's nothing that's going to take any extensive amount of time, um, to get where, where we need you to be. If, if you get that phone call, if I remember correctly, is there still a rule of like 8% you can lose kind of eight that 8% of your water weight where it becomes like when you're going through like a dehydration process, cause I, I do a little bit and like, I actually feel more connected two fighters that I've admiration for or respect for when I do this for, for powerlifting. Mm -hmm. But luckily I've never had to do anything very drastic and I would just watch my weight over, uh, you know, a, a certain period of time and, and towards the end, because it might be say, let's say 10 pounds. Um, mm -hmm. I'll manipulate to where I'll go through like in, uh, like an intermittent fasting kind of phase and I'll only mm -hmm. eat in say a six or eight hour window and I'll be eating mostly fat and protein uh, and just keeping the, kicking the carbohydrates that are going to hold the water, you know, and trying to do it simply and effectively, but without 
too much science and, and I don't really have all of the tools to use to measure all this stuff, but doing it just with a scale and being as effective from information I parsed through. The the problem, in all honesty, is who's establishing the baseline of the test of what was your 8% of water. Right. It's not like we're doing a hydration test to begin. That in itself, right, that right. in and of itself can be its own game. So all of these different ways that we try to set different baselines for what is safe within the community, um, we haven't been able to establish a fair method because somebody will cheat the system at any, you know, it's, it's a tough, you know, so you have to know your body and you have to talk to your coaches and to your team and to say, this is where I feel my best. And then you need to actually fight in the weight class where you feel the best. You need to wrestle in that weight class. You need to power, like you need to actually perform in that weight class. Um, which is a much, much bigger issue. Mm-hmm. Especially that's, for high-level athletes, of course. That's, that's you know. the issue because if I can get into that weight class that nobody's fighting in or if I could take this fight and, you know, that's that's the that's more of the conversation of just getting people to actually be honest with where their body actually does feel at its best. Right. And a lot of times what happens to um, a, lot of, a lot of professionals is that they feel like it's that I'm invincible. I can do anything. And it's, if it's, if it doesn't hurt, I'm not doing a good job and no pain, no gain. And so it should be painful. It should be awful. And so the, you know, the, the message that they have in their head is I, you know, it, even if it hurts, I can still do it. I'll never, I'm invincible. So Jeff Glass has a follow-up question to this and he's now talking about, uh, the post weigh in. And, and he's wondering, what would you say is a recommended diet to gain healthy competition weight back without feeling sluggish? And for context, he does jujitsu competition. So the, the time between weigh-in and competition is going to be different from UFC or Bellator or someone in the MMA world is going to weigh in the day before. So you want to think about cycling back out. Like, what did you do to get there? And then how do you cycle backwards? So if you, you know, all of a sudden go to Chipotle and Chick-fil-A and, and you do all of these things because it, you know, I'm rewarding myself. I met my goal. I had an awesome tournament. I feel so hungry. I haven't had these things in a while. You're going to be in a hurt bag. And I'm so sure you, a lot of Meg, are you that. saying Chick-fil-A and Chipotle are one and the same nutritionally? Uh, I'm going to throw them down the rabbit hole. And I'm, I'm going to say... For this, for under this context, if you weren't eating them in your fight camp to get to your weight within three weeks of coming off, you probably don't want to do that yet. And that's not what a lot of people want to hear because they want to get done and I want to celebrate and I want to go to Chick-fil-A. And unfortunately, that's that can actually cause a lot of metabolic disorders. I'm sorry. A lot of I'm not I'm not weight cutting ever. You right. look so sad. <laughs> a, a lot of people actually turn to in a lot of the competitions I go to, they they turn to donuts. You know, yeah. they think that hey, this simple simple the sugar donut. is going to give me all of this like uh, super. I don't even watch Dragon Ball Z, but if you understand, Dragon, <laughs> anybody will get this one who who follows like this Dragon yeah. Ball Z exponential strength back because I have all this sugar and I'm is jacked up super say on it. That's what it is. Yeah. Like I've seen the thing where he just goes, Goku goes crazy. And his like hair is blonde and it like shoots. I have nephews. Okay. That, <laughs> yeah. that we've, we've I've exhausted. Seen Pokemon. We've ex- I don't want 
see pokemon i could kind of go into i used to have right. a pokemon hustle when i was a kid right but uh dragon ball we've exhausted my knowledge of it right all of ours <laughs> equally but yeah i mean when you're when you're coming out of something and you did something extreme or whatever you did to get there you don't want to just shit the bed on the way back out. You want to kind of cycle back. Like, how did you get there? And then be gentle on your body on your way back out. And that's not, that's not what we do because in society, how we've rewarded ourselves when we were kids, when we got done with like our football game or whatever, where did our parents take us? You know, we're used to celebrating with food and food is celebratory and who wants to, you know, celebrate when they're done with a bowl of oatmeal, a donut sounds a lot better, you know, but that's the reality when you're a professional and that's what you're being paid to do. And that's your job is to think about those things and to think about what you're putting into your body and when, and being strategic about it. So that if somebody said, you know, the commission would never do this, but could you fight again? Like next week, you know, you could, you're still in position where you're still, you know, if you're trying to be the, you know, baddest person on the planet, you should be that at all times. And amateurs do go through that. And wrestlers go through that. And, and luckily, and I actually spoke of, spoke about this in, in a, a medical nutrition therapy class recently, that they are doing hydration tests at the beginning of a lot of wrestling seasons now. So you can only lose so much weight, which is, which is amazing. And I think it's one FC is the one organization where someone did die from weight cutting. So now you have to actually fight at what your natural weight class would be. And obviously this we could get into, which we're not going to, but because this is the not right, not, this is not the right place for it, but, uh, more weight classes and, and, uh, maybe more of like the boxing idea where it's not as much weight that, you know, cause 155 to 185 or 170, there's, there's big discrepancies and, uh, guys and, uh, girls can, can get up and down and, and be much bigger, you know, certain weight classes fighting lower and, Whatever, okay. different, different one. But we actually had one, one more question from uh, Jeff Glass, and um, his question was, "What did he say? Beer and ice cream? Beer and ice cream? Yeah, can you get a six pack uh, to go back to the six pack idea? Can you get a six pack off beer and ice cream?" The so this might be a little, a little bit of a longer answer. Um, I can get somewhere. It, <sighs> So the other day I was thinking about it because there was a comparison, you know, between a lot of the restrictionary diets, like when you talk about like an Atkins, a keto, um, intermittent fasting, um, now carnivore diet, carnivore, all, yeah. these, all these different things. And you can get where you want to go. Like if you're standing in a building, you can take an elevator, you can take the stairs or you can jump out the window if you're trying to get to the ground floor. What's the safest way and the most reliable way, you know, for you to, that you want to use? What's the method that you want to use to get to the ground floor? Can you get somewhere if you include these things in your diet? We see people that, you know, we think that they have these perfect bodies and they behave that way all the time. Um, however, what else in their life probably isn't? You know, if you're drinking excessively, eating a lot of ice cream, cookies, Pop-Tarts, Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, I'm going to keep picking on them. <laughs> pretzels. Um, pretzels. Right. If, if, if that's what you're doing, is that going to really get you where you want to go? Or is that more like the scenario of I got there, but I did it the way of basically just jumping out the window. It wasn't safe. It was effective, but did it actually achieve 
holistically what I wanted it to do. Um, and probably the answer that you're going to find is no. Um, I know a lot of people really enjoy like at the end of the day, ending the day with wine, um, you know, having, you know, going out and getting Wait, now you're taking away the wine. I took your wine away. I just <laughs> what about antioxidants and reservatrol? I just have this whole shitty list of things that I'm ruined for Jordan for the, <laughs> but no, I think you don't drink wine. I do drink <laughs> wine. How often? When there's wine here, like left from a party. <laughs> so once Often. in a, once in a never. But you know, just, just really going back to like, Ken, is it possible? Anything's possible. Shit. Yeah. But what do you, what are you really trying to, to get out of it? And how long do you need it? You know, like what, what are the risks that you're taking to get to where you want to go? And that's, you know, something in going back to, in everything you do, if you really ask yourself why, and if the question when after you ask yourself why you're like, shit, I don't even know. I don't even know why I do what I do half the time. Then maybe that's where your purpose is lacking. And then just finding at least a reason so that you can answer, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And this is my understanding. And in that process of trying to acquire knowledge, you'll learn a little bit more and feel more confident in the decisions you're making. So I think that's a nice way to end. I think it's a big picture idea of this episode of really just digging a bit deeper and, and asking the question why, whether it's uh, why of our behaviors or why, uh, you know, food is the way it is, why it's marketed the way it is. It's just becoming more informed about ourselves and, and, and the world. Uh, if, if the goal is to make it to the ground floor, I'm going to say that Chick-fil-A and wine is analogous to the stop, drop and roll method. And I'm good <laughs> with that. Um, you know, Meg, thanks for doing this. You've been wonderful. Thanks, you guys. I had fun picking on you both. Yeah, awesome. we, we <laughs> equally, appreciate it. Equally in the same. <laughs> um, where can people find you, socials, if they want to stay in touch? So um, on Instagram, the best way is at Dolce Dietitian. That's my main. But to follow the Dolce Diet, um, you can follow Mike at Mike Dolce on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Oh, my God. His podcast. I don't even, I can't even keep up. The website. <laughs> Just type in the Dolce Diet. And three weeks to shredded, and you'll get a waterfall of information. Very cool. So, Meg, you are in the Facebook group. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I guess when when this is published, we'll we'll make the post in the group. And I'm just going to speak for you. When people have any follow up questions, they can comment in that thread, and you'll be there to check okay. in periodically to answer. <laughs> I'll try my best. Absolutely. All right, I signed her up for for all of us here at Chocolate Croissants. <laughs> um, Okay, so I think that's it. We'll do the outro at another point because we don't want to take up any more of your North Dakotan time. But again, thank you. Episode 50. Uh, we're appreciative that you are a part of what is truly a milestone for us and this project. Um, so you were wonderful. Uh, thanks again. You guys, are, you guys are beautiful. Thank you, Meg. Um, and uh, I, I guess with that, uh, eat the damn strawberry. Yes. Yes. Just eat it and don't need to ask a whole lot of questions. <laughs> hey guys, Jordan here one last time. This is the outro for episode 50. Thank you so much for making it this far. And of course, thanks to Meg Ford. Uh, I really did not know anything about her uh, besides the, the bit of research I did prior to the episode. Uh, but Justin had had prior conversations with her 
And for me, at least personality-wise, I was going into it fresh. And the cool thing about this podcast is that I'm just meeting really cool, interesting, and impressive people uh, from all over the world. And Meg uh, definitely falls into all of those categories. So once again, I'd like to thank her on behalf of our whole Chocolate Croissants community. So if you do want to connect with her, facebook.com slash groups slash Chocolate Croissants. Uh, we will have the official post of this episode in there. And that's where you can comment and make some uh, connection or dialogue or uh, give her some feedback uh, or even just say, hey, thanks for doing it. Uh, she took significant amount of her time in her busy week to uh, share with Justin and I, uh, and thus share with all of you listening from around the world. Also, real quick, thanks again to Nata Tattoo. Check it out. You don't need to use the dashes we found out in their URL, N-A-T-A-T-A-T, number two, dot com, uh, Nata Tattoo, or just Google it. Uh, that's a thing that you can use. Uh, all of their products, you get 25% off. When you check out in their web store, uh, use the promo code CHOCOLATE25. It's CHOCOLATE in all caps, followed by the numbers 25. Uh, please check them out. We also have the thread in the Facebook group for that. And uh, I think in the next week, we're going to send out some free uh, kits, the Tattoo Aftercare Kits by Nata Tattoo. Uh, so thanks again to them for uh, not only supporting us, but supporting you guys with uh, some free gear. Also, real quick, Rode, R-O-D-E dot com, Rode Microphones. I am using the NT-USB right now to record this outro. And Justin and I actually used the same microphone uh, during the conversation with Meg. We shared it and did it through Skype with her all the way from Fargo, North Dakota. And finally, iTunes. That's where you can rate and review Chocolate Croissants. Also, whatever podcast app you use, there's many, just like Google Play or Stitcher or I think Deezer. Is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, there's many podcast apps. Uh, if you search Chocolate Croissants, we should be in there. If we're not, let us know and we'll make sure that we are in there. Uh, if you go to the search bar feature and type Chocolate Croissants, uh, there should be a subscribe button. If you do that, one, it helps us, and two, it will automatically download into your phone as long as you are connected to Wi-Fi. So if you're sleeping on a Sunday night connected to Wi-Fi, then overnight it will download, you will wake up, and then when you take the commute to work or whatever you may be doing on Monday morning, you can listen without using your data, and that's a nice thing for all of us. That is it. Episode 50. Holy fuck, we did 50 of these things. That's almost a year, which means we're coming up on the anniversary uh, we actually do have a guest for that, and I'm very excited to share him, uh, another guy from over in the UK. Uh, but episode 51, there's also a guest for that. Check the Facebook group and, and our Instagram, uh, Chocolate Croissants Podcast on Instagram. And by now, there should be a, a post for episode 51. The thing is, we're recording it Monday night. So if you're listening to this, uh, it may be too late to get a question in. Anyway, I'm very excited about it. It is uh, someone that I don't think he knows I work in Ring of Honor. And he actually used to wrestle in Ring of Honor. But he is not on the podcast because he's a wrestler. Justin found him through the nutrition space. It's all kind of fucked up. It's all really amazing and synchronistic. So I'm very excited to dig in uh, with this gentleman on episode 51. Stay tuned. You'll find out who that is. Uh, I think that's it. We love you. We're appreciative for your attention, and this is where I'm going to say uh, bye-bye.